Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Hey, marketers. Hey, business leaders. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. And today's guest is Hank Kempfer. Now, the cool thing about this guest is he has worked for Nelson Mandela, Mark Benioff, and is now the VP of corporate marketing for a company called Hootsuite, which is in the social media space. The number of brands that this guy has gone to touch and help shape what they are in your eyes is amazing. And his path is really interesting as well. He started off more around the idea that you know corporate entities can almost be the enemy in his mind and kind of shape outside of that to realizing if he can join these brands, he can help shape in a very positive way. Now, I think you'll take a lot from both of First of all, his career, he hits on some of the important questions that he asks when he interviews for any new job. And I think it's one of those things we have to ask ourselves is when we're looking for that next career step, are we asking the right questions to make sure it's going to be the right fit for us, where it's going to be somewhere where we can shape what our path is going to be, where our career is going to go. In the second part of the podcast, we actually get to explore how he goes about changing the mold of what a company is over time. And realizing this can't happen overnight, but you got to build layers on top of what's already in place, as he said. So really interesting podcast. We're going to dig in here. Without further ado, one of my favorite guests to date, Hank. Hey, Hank, thank you so much for finding time amid all of the stories that you tell to tell us your story, your career. Let's start with where you are today, which is where I always like to start with our guests. And today you are VP of Corporate Marketing at Hootsuite, a company that's got some Canadian roots, so I'm excited, but really a global brand at this point. And tell us how you stumbled into that opportunity. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, um, as you can hear, this action is Canadian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I, I literally landed um, just at a, like, at a lucky place, Hootsuite. I truly believe in the power of technology to connect us. So when Hootsuite came knocking the first time, I was like, really? I was one of your first users, and now you're going to come to me and want me to join you in this journey? So, yeah, I, I grabbed it with both hands when they came to me. I truly believe in that kind of power of social to to connect, build connections that matter. And I love where Hootsuite is as a company, what I call the awkward teenager stage. You know, it's it's not quite nice. startup. It's not quite the large billion-dollar organization that's growing towards that. So this really matters how you build a brand, how you build the discipline of marketing, how you structure the organization. This is the funnest part of an organization. And sweet spot at Hootsuite at the future of how we build uh, connections. So that's how I got there. That's amazing. And just to give us some some perspective of scale of Hootsuite today, as you said, being that teenager right in the middle there, going through that awkward stage, how big is the marketing team as a whole? Uh, As a whole, most probably around 60 people as a whole. Now that covers everything from product marketing to corporate marketing to, you know, you name it, enterprise, et cetera. So there's a large team that cuts across all of that. And I would say we are a marketing company. Remember that as well. You know, at Hootsuite, at the essence of our product is about marketing and making sure that the connections that you build are actually benefiting people. So we can say we're a thousand marketers at Hootsuite versus just the marketing team themselves. 
So that's interesting. And I, I want to take a step back in your career to figure out how we got here. And the interesting thing, I think, in your case, you just hit a bit on, on the norm that we expect is the marketers who become marketers at mark tech companies or marketing agencies and whatnot, they always had this passion for marketing all the way along. But in your case, I think it's almost the furthest thing from that. You were almost like anti-message to a degree, <laughs> maybe pro-story, but anti-message. Tell us, tell us where your career started. Yes. Um, yeah, I was definitely not a marketer. I studied philosophy and political science. I was an anti-apartheid activist, the action of South African. The first time, my first job, proper job, was a trade union negotiator, was uh, literally no, learning the skill of convincing someone else to do something I want them to do. And that's the power of storytelling. I didn't realize that's just a different form of marketing. Right. Um, I was going to say, that sounds like marketing <laughs> to me. That exactly. sounds like sales. <laughs> exactly. Um, but that's negotiations. Um, and then, then President Nelson Mandela asked me to set up a campaign called Proudly South African for him. That's where I really got into marketing, but still didn't think of it as marketing. I thought of it like, are we just finding ways to tell a story and connect to people to really believe in this, this ideal of what, we, of what we want? The essence of all of that that I've always done is really be part of something bigger than me be part of something that can help create a better world. So from there, I moved to Oxfam to run campaigns for Oxfam over in the UK. So I ran Make Trade Fair, Access to Medicine, Coffee Campaign. And our, another aha moment was running campaigns at Oxfam and I ran the coffee campaign and one of our targets was Starbucks. And uh, I realized that if every coffee company acted the way Starbucks did, we wouldn't have a coffee crisis. So that was like, well, hang on. I thought the companies are the enemy. You know? right. So now all of a sudden they're part of the answer. Well, then I better join them and make sure that I can be part of them. And so what, what do you, can you give it. us, what did you mean by that in, in terms of realizing Starbucks wasn't the enemy or realizing the brand wasn't the enemy? Is that because these organizations started to have like corporate responsibility initiatives yeah. that, that aligned yeah. with, with your thinking? Exactly. I mean, we're talking 20 years ago before people really knew about this idea of corporate social responsibility of CSR or sustainability or any of that. But at Oxfam, we asked companies to do five things to help coffee farmers. And when we looked at Starbucks and Starbucks responded, we realized, oh, they're doing all of that and then some. You know, they were paying, for example, farmers more than what fair trade was paying them. They had these programs that they were working with farmers on the ground to make them more sustainable. And it's like, oh, man, if everybody did this, we wouldn't have a problem. Okay. Um, so it was really from that practice side. But then my challenge was, and why I joined the agency communication side was, that's great if we can change one or two companies. But to really change all companies, the soft underbelly of every business is the customer, the consumer. So how do we actually tell a story to bring the consumer in line? Because if the consumer's in line, every other company is going to follow. So that's why I joined the agency side and worked with some fabulous brands, finding ways to inspire better connections and storytelling to get consumers to support these ideas like the Levi's and the Timberlands, et cetera. That's interesting. And then along the way, you ended up rejoining the brand side. You know, one of the, the companies that now that I know your story makes a ton of sense is Salesforce. I mean, you, you talk about CSR, you talk about giving back, you know, Benioff has, has always preached the importance of that. And any Dreamforce you go to, it feels almost as much of a, of a give back initiative as it is a customer event. 
Yes, um, that was another lucky one um, where I didn't apply for a job at Salesforce. It was actually salesforce.org, which I didn't really know existed. When they came to me and said they were looking for someone to head up marketing, and I said, well, I don't want to join a nonprofit. And I said, oh, they're not a nonprofit. It's actually a social enterprise. Growing at 45% a year, back when I joined, they were growing at 45% a year, 80 people. I mean, 300 people, $80 million, three and a half years later, it was $300 million, 1,000 people just growing at a phenomenal rate. So it was really putting business at the heart of social. So that was a, that was fun, right? And it, the idea was like, how do you build a brand and marketing strength around that? And I love that 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 stage of an organization, that that where they, they're growing into this future driver of business. And then... Salesforce actually, Mark was the chairman of Salesforce.org as well, but Salesforce actually bought Salesforce.org. Um, it was, what, two years ago? Um, no kidding. You know, yeah, so that they bought Salesforce. We, we went from being 1,000 people in the organization to being part of 45,000 people, and that was where I was like, you know, I like the, I like the earlier stage of, of, of a company's life cycle. Where it's, it's really still being able to react to market quickly, not wait for perfection, but rather execute, drive hard. And, but I love technology. So when Hootsuite came, it made perfect sense. So help me understand, though, because, you know, there's a risk, I think, in the, in the type of work that you enjoy to do and sometimes the expectations in a role from an organization you know, where you're able to come in and tell this story and also be involved in what the solution means in the grand scheme of the world. Now, not, not to minimize it or make it sound too big, but how do you find the right companies that are going to prioritize that for you, given what, what you've deemed are important values? Like, what are some of the questions you're asking, you know, during your interviews, you know, figuring out, like, is this company actually going to live up to the CSR side? So the first question I ask, it's a question I ask myself, is if I give this product or service to everybody who wants to change the world, will it help change the world? Will it make a better world? And in the essence, if I give everybody who wants to create a better world Hootsuite, the world will be better. It'll be able to build better connections, benefit more people, et cetera. And the same was true for, for, for Salesforce. There are many companies out there that are doing absolutely great work. That's not a fit for me. That could be, you know, clothing companies. It's, it's just the world needs clothing, but it doesn't need a specific clothing company. If I give everybody any, if I give everybody a pair of jeans, it doesn't mean the world's better. It's the right. way we made those jeans are better. So I look at the essence of the promise of the product. A question I ask places that I join and I, you know, I'm lucky enough to usually be interviewed by the CEO. It's like, what does success look like in 10 years time? What does the world look like if we are successful in achieving the dream? I'm lucky that as well at Hootsuite, the founder is there. So, you know, can get it straight from Ryan himself. Right. And that, that kind of clarity of what the world looks like, that gives me a job. That gives me, it's like, okay, my job as a marketer and a brand person is to build a brand to bring that promise to life. And then how do we act and live that? And it affects the whole business. So those are the kind of two questions. And then through the interview process, the only other thing that I look at is that is the no asshole rule. You know, as I look around, I look around and I go, I, I have to work with people that are, that's going to have each other's back. I'm from South Africa. We have this principle called Ubuntu, which means I am because we are, it's not about me. It's about all of us. So to be able to do that, I, I look around. It's like, 
are they are they people who I can just hang around with, work with that will challenge me? I can challenge back, but we're gonna have fun, and there's the no asshole rule. And that's absolutely also why I joined Hootsuite. I looked around, it's like, come on, there must be someone I'm not gonna like you, right? <laughs> but three months in, I still have to find that person, you know. So those are the three things that I do. That's great. That's how, you know, it's funny. We have at Uberflip here, we have a similar type of test. We don't call it the no asshole rule. We call it, it essentially is, it's the hallway test, right? The way I always describe it is if you're going down the hallway and you see someone down that hallway, do you take a different path, right? If, if you take a different path, <laughs> really, yeah. then it means that you didn't want to see that person, which means that probably their customer felt that way. Probably another department felt that way. If you feel that way, then there's something wrong and you probably need to get into a different company. Uh, I'll use that in future. (laughs) It it sounds a little bit more polite, plus it probes some questions. Uh, Hank, this this has been fun so far. We're going to take a quick break here. I want to dig into how you get all these messages into companies already so baked. And we'll, we'll do that right after this break on The Marketer's Journey. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies and we created one just for you head to uberflip.com journey to see how uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand all right Inc., we are back after that little break and i want to dig deeper with especially the focus you have around corporate marketing and messaging and the companies that you choose to tell these stories with as you described a better version of the world how do you go in and start to put your stamp or the or the required stamp not necessarily your own personal stamp on on a company when the identity is so solidified i mean companies like salesforce and levi's and you know companies that you've talked about that are so known how do you shift the mindset of the market at a late stage of an organization yeah that's that comes down to storytelling and patience this is not a short journey. This isn't something that you're going to disrupt the marketing today. You can't be different from what people um, have always experienced because that, that'll just be inconsistent with who you, who you truly are. And it's rather layering new messages in, layering new behavior. And I'll take Hootsuite as an example. We're a social media company or platform that manage, helps you manage social media. So within our identity, people know the look and feel. They have an idea of who we are. But what we really want them to remember is that we're in social media. So the behavior for us then is like, well, what would a social media event look like? What would a webinar look like if a social media company had to do it? But even that is abstract. So that's the first thing, but it's abstract to say, what would a social media company look like? And actually give an example. You know, we, I was just talking to one of my events people yesterday and said like, well, what would an event look like? If it was done in 140 characters or not 280 characters, what would an event look like that we had to do that? What would an event look like if I had to blast this through Instagram or TikTok or LinkedIn? It makes it very, very practical because in the end of the day, your brand is experienced. It's not just what people 
see and read. It's an experience that they have. It's the personality. And that's just a slow way. I see it as dating. You don't go in on the first date and say everything about yourself and wear all your clothes and do everything. It's like it's appropriate to wherever you show up and, and trying to make people fall in love with the idea of who you are in this situation versus that situation, etc. but bring consistency. Have that experience. That's how, that's how we try not change it, but rather add more layers to the brand. So I want to I want to dig deeper on that because I, I love that example you use with Hootsuite as well. And I think of TikTok and I think yeah, silly movements and you know, moth you know, mouthing to songs and all these things. It's it's very fun, but then you've got the need to sell this brand in that that is all about being responsible and being accountable. How do you balance those two, right? Even my brand, which is Uberflip, we have this amazing brand color, which is this pink known as Rubine Red that people love. But at the same time, we sell to mid-market enterprise customers. I think every brand kind of struggles sometimes with what their, what their solution needs to be versus maybe what the, you know, what the world is that they're living in. A uh, couple of things there. So I try and uh, I go through an exercise to say like, Who's the personality? So pick any celebrity, well-known person out there that you want to be as a brand. And then do you know the consequences of being that personality? So knowing the consequences, you'll know your limitation. And then ask yourself, okay, what does my customer think? If I have to ask the customer, what personality or celebrity do you think this brand is? That'll tell you your journey. Because they'll think one thing and you want to be something else and you have to tell that journey, but know the limitation. The consequences is so essential. I, I think of like leadership or thought leadership. You know what you need to be a thought leader? A thought and lead. And I said, so often people will say, I, I want to be this and they don't understand the consequences of being there. Do you want to be loved as a brand or do you want to be liked as a brand? Because if you want to be loved as a brand, you also need to accept the, the fact that there will be people who hate you. And that's fine. Apple is comfortable with the fact that there are people who love them and that there are people who hate them. Nike don't care about people burning their shoe because they know that there are more people who's going to buy that same shoe each time they speak out. So that's just a comfort level. But you have to, as a company, define that and say, like, I'm comfortable with where I am or where I want to be. And I, and I embrace the consequences of where I am. As a social media company, if we don't bring fun into our brand, when we're not a social media company, then we're a company that sells social media, not a social media company. Every single platform, no matter who you are, every single platform and social is only effective if there's some form of fun involved in it. Not everything is, it's not funny, it's fun. Even LinkedIn, I see what people react to is where people go, that's an insightful, fun way to look at it. Not funny, mm -hmm. but that reacts. So for us, it's just embracing the consequences of who we are. Um, doesn't mean that we're not responsible. Of course, we're responsible. We're on social media. We can show that LinkedIn is as responsible as what you can be. So you can bring that. We were talking about Ryan Reynolds earlier. <laughs> I'll stop. Ryan Reynolds. I think of like Ryan Reynolds as a, do you think he's serious? Do you think there's someone that you want to listen to and be insightful? Do you think he runs a business well? I think all of that, but also think he's fun. So Absolutely. Bring, bring back that kind of, that's your personality. I, I mean, you and I already confess we both want to be Ryan Reynolds. So, <laughs> exactly, you know, that's, exactly. that's maybe our own, uh, our, our own <laughs> brand that we, you know, I, I think if you could quit Hootsuite and go work directly for Ryan Reynolds tomorrow, <laughs> you'd have a lineup uh, of people you're competing with. Um, exactly. I, I'll ask you one more serious question here, which is how do you create 
alignment beyond your marketing team to buy into this aspirational goal? And maybe at two levels, I'll, I'll ask you, you know, one is you mentioned you, you've often gone to meet with the CEO during the interview stage when we spoke in the previous segment. How do you get the CEO on side with reshaping an identity? And then the other group that's, that's different in its own way is how do you do that with the sales team? Yeah, I always start off with this is not about me. I just have a discipline that I follow. So this isn't about me coming up with an idea of who I want the brand to be. The brand is what the brand is. It's in the eye of the customer. It's in the eye of the founder slash CEO. And it's in the eye of everybody that works there. So I have a workshop that I go through this exercise to find out who do you want us to be? Who are we in the eyes of the customer? Who do you want us to be from the CEO side that drives those values and those principles? And then the same from a sales side, what do you want to be, et cetera? I'm just a custodian. The marketing team is the custodian of the brand. It's not the brand. And as the custodian, we, ins- we ensure consistency in how we show up in the, in the outside world. I don't limit what people can say or, or can do or can say. I'd rather I'm an enabler to say you can do whatever you want within these frameworks because that's what it means to be brand relevant. I've never really had an issue with CEOs or uh, salespeople because I start off with like this is not about me. And really engage them and make them part of the process. Interesting. I, I, you know, I, I, I like that you've had such a good track record. Perhaps that's just how you've documented, how you've ruled this out. I think one thing that a lot of organizations face that I hear is salespeople resisting change, resisting adapting what that company stands for today because either that sales rep was taught by an old sales rep or they had success with the old messaging. And that's a hard shift for some, some people in the organization to make, but maybe that's, that's also a matter, as you said, about getting the CEO to embrace it as well. Yeah. For me, sales, my, my approach to sales is there's no marketing without sales. Marketing and sales have the easiest job in the world. Theoretically, there's a product and there's a marketplace. And our job is to link those two. And the journeys that we create is marketing supports sales in being able to we, we carve the path for them to take. So we, we absolutely essentially partners to sales. There's a healthy tension there. Sales is much more about what's this quarter while marketing is much more what's this year, two years. But that's the healthy tension. I, I don't want sales to agree with everything that I do. It's like, why would we have sales and marketing then? The healthy tension is there. And that comes back to like the, the hallway uh, issue. It's like, as long as you can walk past each other and greet each other and know that we're all on the same journey, like I don't have an, I don't have an answer. I just have questions and some insights and we'll do it together. I love that. Well, we'll, we'll finish this segment on that because I, I think that's a great way to look at it. Comes back to sales and marketing alignment. As you said, you know, creating that path to work together. Hank, if you've got a couple minutes, we'll keep you on. We'll get to know about your personal journeys and how you take some time for yourself right after this short break. All right, Hank, we have had a great time understanding your career journey, your buyer journey that you're mapping or or creating a path, as you called it. Now I want to understand how you make time for yourself. And I, I think there's a lot of cool companies that you've worked with from a branding perspective that talk about exploring companies like the North Face or Timberland. So I, I expect that you do make this a priority. No, absolutely. It's not just a priority, it's life. You know, I like my work, but I love my life. I don't live my life to work. It's, it's all an enablement of an extension of life. So 
I got two kids, um, so my wife and I are spending as much time together every year, at least once a year. We're trying to go to the island of Kauai. That's my happy place. Is that um, the photo behind you that I'm seeing? I, exactly. I'd be curious. <laughs> that is the photo of Kauai, and that's the Kauaian flag hanging from the photo as well. There you go. So uh, everyone's listening to this on a podcast, but you and I pretty much hit on everything else behind you earlier, from your guitars <laughs> to your DC comics. But there was that photo of this beautiful island that I was curious about. Yeah, that's the Nepali coast of Kauai, um, and that's my happy place. It's a place where my soul can just take a beat down. Um, and we try and do that at least once a year, sometimes more than once a year. It's just, you know, like I said, we live, we live with a compound of locals. It's the, the, the happiest place in the world. But also play the guitar, try and do that every night. I am a DC, Marvel, um, Star Wars geek, so I try and watch that as much as I can. Go run with my dogs, go out with my wife and explore the beautiful city that we live in. And the reason is simple. I'm paid for my brain, nothing else. And if this brain is not activated by everything else in this world, it can't service, can't be creative. So I try and give it some more breathing space um, by doing everything else, finding that balance. That's amazing. I'm, I'm going to guess you've already subscribed to Disney Plus then. Oh, yeah. What do you want to know about Mandalorian? <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much. If people want to go learn more about you, where, where could they follow you, follow some of your contents, follow some of your thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, I'm on both Twitter, LinkedIn, as most probably the two that I'm the most active on. LinkedIn, obviously, a little bit more work insights. Twitter, just have some fun, poking fun, and you'll see a little bit more of my personality pop out there. But both of those, easy places to find me. My Twitter yeah. handle is Angry African, so I'm not really that angry, uh, but I am <laughs> African, so... Um, that's where you can find me there. Fantastic. Well, this, this has been a ton of fun. I, I've really enjoyed getting to know your personality today. And every week on this podcast, we're getting to know a different senior leader in marketing and how they got to where they are. Your path was truly unique. I, I can't thank you enough for making the time. For those listening, thank you for making the time and check out some of the other episodes we have with great marketing leaders. Until next time, this has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.